don't know if parents do this anymore, but uh, there was a time where at least some parents, when they were getting ready to send their kid away, maybe to spend the night with a friend, uh, maybe they were at an amusement park and they were going to split up and they were going to let their kids go one way, or maybe, maybe it was a camp or uh, some sort of trip that they were going on without the parents. There were some parents that would write their phone number on a piece of paper and they would stick it in the kid's pocket, <clears throat> or they would write it on the tag of uh, their clothes or on their shoe or on their arm or uh, somehow they had a, a way for their child or an adult that their child would be with to know how to get in contact with their parents um, probably we don't do that a lot anymore we have other ways of keeping up with our kids uh, now uh, you probably send your kid away with a cell phone maybe that has an in case of emergency number so they always have a way to get in touch with somebody in case something goes wrong or we have tracking devices on our phones now right parents so we can keep up with ever wherever our kids phone is at least hopefully the phone is with them um, we have little tracking tags now you could put with your kids and keep up with wherever they go. Parenting strategies when it comes to this sort of tracking uh, differ from one parent to the other, which is why I have lots of jokes to make, but I'm not going to make it because somebody would get mad about me making a joke about this very serious thing. All of that to say that uh, we often, when we send our kids away, our, our uh, what we're trying to say to our kids is, I hope you have a great time. I hope everything is wonderful. I look forward to seeing you in a few days. Uh, I hope you have the best of time. But just in case something goes wrong and you need me, just on the chance that you might need some help, here's how you can get help. We've been studying 1 John for a couple of weeks now, kind of roaming around in 1 John. And, and one of John's big themes in 1 John is he wants us to know. He wants us to have confidence in Christ. He wants us to have confidence in our relationship with God. There are false teachers that are attacking, preying on, P-R-E-Y, preying on the church and trying to lead people away from the faith that the disciples and the apostles had handed down from Jesus. And John is stepping into those churches with this letter and saying, look, I don't want you to get dragged away by those ideas and those thoughts. I want you to have confidence in who you are in Jesus. I want you to know. We've covered some of those verses. Uh, here are some of the ways John says it. He says, this is how we know what love is. We know. We have confidence. We're secure. And another time he says, this is how we know that we live in Jesus. And Jesus lives in us. This is how we know it. We're confident. We're not guessing. Another time he says, this is how we know who the children of God are. Over and over, John gives us these keys to confidence these clues for how we can be secure in Christ and not have doubts and move forward confident, confidently in our relationship with Jesus he's going to come back to that same idea in 1 John 3:19 which is where I'm going to read in just a minute if you want to find it in your your copy of the Bible 1 John's almost at the end of the Bible he's going to use those same words we left off in verse 18 last week and John had been talking about our, our need to love one another. 
and the way that we relate to one another to obey Jesus' second greatest command, which was love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's just uh, challenging us to live in love. And there in verse 18, he says, I don't want your love just to be a bunch of talk. I don't want you to love in words and speech, John says, but in truth and with action. I want you to actually love each other really not just say you love each other or not just think it's a great idea to love one another I don't want it to be just a bunch of talk I want it to be genuine authentic in truth and in action I, I, I want people to, to see your love at work and then in verse 19 he comes back to this truth idea he writes this is how we know that phrase again this is how we know that we belong to the truth. We have authentically, genuinely been changed by Jesus. And, John writes, how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. There again, he's talking about confidence. You can know. You don't have to guess whether you're right with God. You, you don't have to question whether you're in relationship with God. You can have confidence. But then he adds, this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And the implication there is that there will be times when our hearts are not at rest. I mean, the only reason he would tell us that we need to set our hearts at rest is because we would walk through seasons of our life when our hearts are not at rest. Have you ever had a time in your life when your heart was not at rest? When there was anxiety and questions and unknown and, and you lacked a little bit of confidence on the way forward? There were, there were questions that were building in your heart. That's what John is saying. There's going to be times when you question yourself. You doubt yourself. You doubt really where you are with God. This is how we set our hearts at rest. The word translated set means to reassure, to persuade. Anybody ever have to talk your heart into being at rest because your heart was not at rest? Anybody have, a, have to have a talk with yourself because anxiety was building? John's about to tell us there's a way to set our hearts at rest to talk our hearts into rest and away from questioning maybe your heart is not at rest this morning or, or maybe your heart is at rest but you remember a time when it wasn't at rest at all or maybe you are confidently at rest this morning but by tomorrow morning you won't be at rest it changes quickly doesn't it our, our heart's perspective on life and ourselves and God, it, it swings very quickly, suddenly, from confident faith to a lot of wondering, from secure relationship with God to, God, I don't understand. Right? The human heart does that. It swings from this confident place to this questioning place. And John just is honest about that. This is the human heart sometimes. This is the way emotions work on us sometimes in a broken, fallen world. Sometimes we're confident one day and we just have a ton of questions the next day. 
If I were going to summarize what John's saying right here in, in a little bit admittedly of an awkward way, I would summarize it like this. We need to know that we're right with God because sometimes we won't know. Sometimes our heart will make us question ourselves. And so all of John's appealing to knowing, all of John's appealing to security, all of John's appealing to confidence it gets rounded out by this, by this one little phrase where he says, there's going to be some times you might not know. We're human like John's human. There are going to be some times we don't, we're going to question. And, and, and John, in, in bolstering our confidence, he's even giving, given us tests that we could run, a, a, a grid we could run our lives through. And we haven't talked about it in this way in this series. We haven't itemized these in exactly this way, even though we've talked about these concepts. John basically gives us three tests to know that we are secure in our relationship with God. He gives us a belief test, right? Woven throughout this letter, John says things like, this is how you know somebody's telling you the truth. They believe Jesus came in the flesh and he died and rose again and that he's the son of God. It was a belief test. He starts the letter with that. He weaves it all throughout the letter. It's important that you believe the truth about who Jesus is and that's one of the ways we know that we're right with God because we believe the truth about Jesus. There's a belief test. John, throughout the letter, weaves an obedience test. We've talked about it. The obedience test sounds something like this in John's writing. Look, if you continue to disobey God and it never bothers you, there's a problem there. Right? Are, are, you, are you walking in disobedience, John wants to know? Is this a continual pattern of your life that you're not obeying God? Or when you disobey, are you quick to repent and turn back to Him? The obedience test. Just look at your life. Do I, do I want to obey God and does it bother me when I don't obey God? And then there's what I would call the moral, ethical, social test. This is the love one another test. How are we living in relationship to other people? John's been very specific about that. They'll, they'll see God in us to the degree that we love other people. All, all of these wonderful tests, wonderful ways of examining our hearts to know if we're walking with God. But then in verse 19, John implies that even with those tests, even with that security that we're supposed to feel, there will be times we will question ourselves. He gets more specific in the very next phrase. He follows this, how we set our hearts at rest in verse 20 with this phrase, if our hearts condemn us, not, not only is our heart not at rest, John says, our heart will condemn us sometimes. Anybody's heart ever condemned them? Anybody ever feel self-doubt or shame or regret? Anybody, anybody's heart, anybody's mind ever tell them that thing you did God could never forgive that. You remember that time you really messed up. You're never going to recover from that. Sometimes our heart speaks to us this way. Our heart, our mind 
Uh, our heart tells us that we're not enough. We could never be enough. You could never measure up. God really couldn't love you fully because you know who you are. You know what you did. If our hearts condemn us, John says, and our heart will do that. Last Sunday, I made kind of an offhanded comment. I hadn't planned to say it, but kind of in the moment it came out, which can be really dangerous sometimes when stuff just comes out that I hadn't really thought through. But we're talking about John's amazement at the love of God back at chapter 3, verse 1. And if you were here, you remember John starts that chapter with, See, look, behold, can you believe? What manner of love? What otherworldly, incredible, I can't explain it. Behold, what manner of love God has put on us. And, and we talked about how John was just astonished that God loved him so overwhelmingly and completely. And, and the comment I made was maybe John was so overwhelmed by that because John knew that John didn't even love John all the time, right? Because I don't love me all the time. I don't always love what I do. I don't always love what I say. I, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And John was just overwhelmed by God's love. And, and I think part of it is this realization that I don't always like me all the time. And often my heart reminds me of all the ways that I'm disappointed in myself. My heart reminds me of all the things I've said and done and mistakes that I've made that a part of me thinks you'll never recover or God will never forget that or God will never use you. My, my heart and I bet some of your hearts treat you like that sometimes. They just create this self-doubt. I'm so glad that John doesn't ignore that part of us. Like as he's writing this letter and as he's encouraging us to know and to be confident and to be secure, it's as if John were saying, look, I want you to know. I'm going to tell you how to know. You can know. But it's like he slips a little note in our pocket here in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 and says, but when you don't know, but, but when you start to doubt, and you will start to doubt sometimes, when your heart condemns you, I want to tell you a little something. And John's not talking about doubting whether God is real. That's not that sort of doubt. He's, he's not really talking about doubting whether uh, there's a heaven or doubting specific parts of your faith. That's a very real doubt, and we're going to do a whole series on that kind of doubt right after Easter. Hope you'll come back for that series. What John's talking about is when we doubt ourselves, when we doubt God's love for us, when our past and our mistakes and all the things that we know we've done wrong rise up against us and say, well, you'll never be able to, God could never, this will never be forgotten. John goes on in verse 20, he writes, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. My thoughts about myself, 
My guilt and shame over things I've done in the past, they don't get the last word in my life. John said, when our hearts condemn us, God's bigger than that voice that keeps telling you you're not enough. God's love is bigger than the shaming, condemning voice that speaks to you out of the inner places of your heart. John says, no, God's, God's bigger than that. You don't have to give that voice the final word in your life. After all, John says, God knows everything. He knows everything you've done. He knows every mistake you've made. He knows everything that you think you could never get over. He knows everything about you, and his love is still bigger than that. There are, there are two beings in the universe <clears throat> that have been present for every mistake you've ever made, you and God. There are two beings in the universe that have been present for every mistake I've ever made, me, because I was making them, and God, because he saw me. He knows everything. He knows mistakes in my life that none of you know about. Maybe you've been present for some of my mistakes. Okay, some of them I make very publicly. Right? So maybe you know of one or two or five or 10 or 20 of them. I promise you, you don't know the whole list. There's a lot more where that came from. You don't know the whole list. God and I have been present for everyone and God probably remembers more of them than I do. Fortunately, I've forgotten some of them. God hasn't forgotten any of them. He knows every mistake I've made, every regret I've ever had, however briefly, every shame I've ever felt. And his love is still greater for me, not only than all of the mistakes I've ever made, it's also greater for me than the condemning voice I continue to hear in my head. God's greater than my heart. He's greater than my condemning of myself. And it's not that I'm not that bad of a person. That's not what John's saying. John's not saying when your heart condemns you, then it's probably lying to you. No, it's probably telling you the truth. I mean, I know our hearts exaggerate bad things. But all of those mistakes, they were real. All of the times I've disobeyed God, they were real. All of the times that you've disobeyed God, they were real. Those actually happened, and yet God sees them and loves us through the righteousness of his son anyway. God is bigger than all of that. And yet our hearts and our minds, they get sucked in this small place of self-doubt and self-condemnation for clarity John's not saying that <clears throat> it doesn't matter how we live it, it doesn't matter if we fail it doesn't matter if we sin he's not saying that at all there, there is a good conviction of God's spirit that brings me into obedience with God John's been talking about this if we sin we can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us he covers that in John chapter 1 there's this encouraging prompting of the Holy Spirit to leave disobedience. John's not talking about that. John's talking about that continual 
self-doubt, condemning, shaming, guilt-ridden feeling that our hearts tend to give us. One of the ways that I would encourage you to think about it is that God's love is bigger than our tendency to condemn ourselves. So we should trust God more than our condemning hearts. We should trust God's heart more than what my, my heart has to say about me. We, we should trust God's love for us more than my ability to condemn myself. See, for all of John's writing about what we can know and what we can be confident of, John never encourages us to be confident in our confidence. It's not our feeling of confidence that we ought to trust. It's God that we ought to trust. Right? Our feelings of security are not what give us security. Our security comes in the fact that we trust in God. I'm not trying to get a feeling of security back. Me feeling secure is not what gives me security. What gives me security and confidence is knowing the nature of God, knowing the goodness of God and the overwhelming amount of love that He has for me. And another way to say it, in times of self-doubt, we shouldn't trust our ability to be confident. We should trust God's ability to be faithful. I don't trust my ability to know and be confident. I, I trust that God's faithful to me even when I fail. E even when I stumble, God is still faithful. Now, why does John think this matters? Why would he slip this little caveat to his argument about us knowing and being secure? It must be important. Why was it important that John addressed this issue. We could talk for some time about the impact of self-doubt and guilt and regret on our mental health and our emotional health. I mean, you live long enough under the weight of continual guilt and shame and regret and self-doubt, and it will affect you mentally and emotionally as well as spiritually. We could talk about the impact of shame and guilt and regret on our relationships to other people. Because if we carry around shame all the time, if we're constantly beating ourselves up, if we're constantly listening to that voice of accusation, it's going to have an impact on our relationships. Those are all important topics. That's not the reason John thought this was important. Verse 21, he goes on. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, in other words, if we figure out this is me talking, this is not the love of God speaking to me, if I set my heart at rest, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His command and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. What's at stake when it comes to our self-condemnation, 
Our intimacy with Christ is at stake. Our intimacy with Christ is what suffers. This was John's big concern. If you continually live your life feeling like you're not enough, you don't measure up. God couldn't possibly love you. There's too much shame and there's too much regret in your life. John's concern is you're going to back off your relationship with God. Like if you settle your heart in the forgiveness and love of God, you're going to pray and you're going to pray confidently. You're going to talk to your father because you know that he loves you. Those questions are going to die back. And you're going to approach God with confidence. And you're going to pray for what's on your heart. John is concerned that if you continue to live with this self-condemnation, then you're going to slowly start distancing yourself from God. And it's going to have this compounding effect in your life. You feel shame, and so you pull back from God, and you feel more shame, and you keep pulling back from God, and you have more regret, and you keep pulling back from God. John is saying, no, I want you to live close to God, and you can't live close to God if you're constantly living in regret, constantly living in shame, constantly feeling like God couldn't love you. The Spirit of God lives in you, John said. That's how close God is to you. That's how near He wants to be with you. Don't let your heart talk you out of that. Don't let the accusations of your heart talk you out of walking closely with God. I was reading this. It's interesting that one of the ways we refer to the devil is as an accuser. He is an accuser of God's people. He is the one who shames us. He's the one who points his finger at us. He's the one who reminds us of all the things we've ever done wrong. And yet as John is writing this, he never references the devil. I think John was kind of like me. He doesn't need the devil when it comes to his heart condemning him. John's like, I do that well enough on my own. I have enough regret. I don't need the devil piling on. It doesn't take the devil to remind me of my shame and my brokenness and my pain. But when that happens, when that happens, God is greater than the voice that my heart speaks with. God is greater than the condemnation that I hear in my heart and I can approach his throne with confidence. John clarifies this prayer of confidence in chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 he writes this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we've asked of him like if we're walking close with God if our hearts tuned in to God if we're praying according to God's will we know God's listening our shame does not keep us from walking into the presence of God. His love overwhelms any regret or any condemnation that we may experience, that we may say to ourselves. That's how deeply, that's how fully we are loved by God. I'm so glad that John didn't say, boy, if your heart condemns you, then... You're just out of luck. 
God probably doesn't want to have anything to do with you. If you ever doubt, then you just don't have strong faith. John said, no, there are going to be times that you're going to question a lot of things. And I want you to be confident. Like, I want you to know. But there are going to be times you're going to question just how much God loves you, whether you're in a right relationship with Him. And I want you to know that God's heart is greater than your heart in that moment. The prophet Isaiah was uh, foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. He had this wonderful phrase that he used to describe the coming Messiah, Jesus. Isaiah 42, 3, he writes, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. When Jesus comes, the way Jesus is, is going to deal with us is that when we feel broken, when we feel condemned, when we feel like we should be rejected when we're consumed with self-doubt Jesus doesn't finish us off Jesus doesn't say well too bad for you a bruised reed he doesn't break in other words Jesus is gentle with us even in our doubts Jesus is tender with us even when we feel we've messed up Jesus is close. A smoldering wick. In other words, a fire that's just about to go out. Jesus doesn't blow the rest of it out. Jesus comes alongside of us and gently, tenderly protects us until that flame starts. Again, this is how Jesus interacts with you. John wants you to know. John wants you to be confident. He wants you to walk securely in your relationship with Jesus, but he just tucked this little note in the middle of his letter. For those times, you're not so confident. For that moment when you're starting to doubt, God's bigger than your doubts. You are loved. You are accepted. You are treasured. By your heavenly Father. Don't forget that. God, we ask that you would help us walk through seasons of doubt. God, we ask that you would help us walk through seasons of guilt. Because as confident as we want to be in our relationship with Jesus, as secure as we want to be and as we can be, we know we run into moments when we just, we wonder if it's true. We wonder if it's true for our hearts. We wonder if it's true for our past. We wonder if it's true for our mistakes. And John would say, it's true. God's heart is bigger than the voice in your head. Bigger than all the ways you beat yourself up. His forgiveness is enough. The righteousness of Jesus is enough. The death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. So even if our hearts condemn us, God's bigger than our hearts. And I pray for those 
who came in this morning with condemning hearts. Not those who are being prompted to turn away from sin necessarily or are feeling a, a genuine conviction of God's spirit that, hey, I need to change something. I'm talking about those, God, who just keep rehearsing all of their failures to themselves, who keep rehearsing all of the guilt that they've been carrying again and again, the regret and the shame that they keep heaping on themselves. May they hear Your heart's bigger than that. Your love is bigger than that. Even if our hearts condemn us, God's bigger than the condemning voices of our heart. As we sing this next song, help them just to feel your love. To know your forgiveness in this moment. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.